0: Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you gotta subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art 19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom, done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. For another hour of the PFT Live podcast
1: tuesday edition pro football talk live nbc sports radio an hour from now as we always do except on those rare occasions when we do not nbcsn sims second day back from his vacation we had video evidence yesterday that after a week in turks and caicos his skin tone is exactly the same as it was before he left exactly the same. The only guy I know who goes to the beach and comes home without a tan. Maybe he can't tan. I don't know. We'll see if he's any more tan today. We'll see if he got some sun yesterday afternoon in Greenwich to create the impression that he got more of a tan than he actually got when he was in Turks and Caicos. And we're going to talk coming up about one specific aspect of the Astros cheating scandal. Specifically, how Commissioner Rob Manfred has bungled this. And one of the byproducts, I was listening to the update on the way in right before we got started. One of the byproducts of the Commissioner of Baseball not dealing with this as aggressively as he should is the story isn't going away because there's this lingering sense that justice wasn't done. So now there's talk about pitchers plunking astros all year long and oh we don't deliberately throw at people you're the only ones who don't they all do at some time or another this weird goofy etiquette of baseball has pitchers throwing at batters and if you have a team that stole a championship and there's a perception that not enough is being done about it You don't take him to court. You take matters into your own hands. To put a twist on the famous Doug Llewellyn quote from the People's Court. All right. The Miles Garrett-Mason Rudolph situation may eventually end up in court. Although I was on 93.7 The Fan yesterday in Pittsburgh and they asked me what advice I would give Mason Rudolph. My advice would be not to sue. Roger Clemens' eventual perjury prosecution flowed from a defamation lawsuit once you file a lawsuit for defamation you open your life up to all sorts of aggressive questioning and investigation and nooks and crannies that get explored and unless you are clean unless you are mother Teresa level clean you're going to regret doing it because what's the upside what's mason rudolph really going to get out of miles garrett And is anyone going to care if there's a verdict in Mason Rudolph's favor? Is that going to cause people to say, well, maybe he didn't use a racial slur. People have already made their decision. The court of public opinion is not bound by the rules of evidence or procedure or anything. They make their decisions and they move on. Mike Tomlin made a decision yesterday to appear on ESPN, to appear on First Take, because he was mad at ESPN. All the stories and the statements and the Claims and counterclaims and arguments on Saturday flowed from the fact that that was the day that ESPN aired the full Miles Garrett interview as part of Outside the Lines. And what specifically, quote unquote, hacked off Tomlin, as he explained yesterday, was the fact that the panel discussion following the interview was all centered on the assumption that Rudolph used a racial slur. Not the other side of the coin. What if he didn't? What if Miles Garrett is lying? And see, this is part of the delicate dance that you do in exchange for access. They got the Miles Garrett interview. They got him. They get to check the box. We got him. Fox didn't. CBS didn't. NBC didn't. We got him. And as part of that not so subtle quid pro quo, you can't poop on the guy's story. Sorry to not be more artful or flowery. Enjoy your breakfast. But you can't poop on the guy's story. So if the guy's saying, hey, I got into a situation where a guy used a racial slur, right after the interview, you can't say, well, that guy is full of it. You can't do that. Oh, he's lying. What a bunch of malarkey. You can't do it. It's part of the deal that you do. The deal that you do with the devil to get the interview. It's bad form to go back to the studio after they played the tape and say, man, that guy is just lying through his damn teeth. So, you know what? Mission accomplished because ESPN followed the Garrett get with the Tomlin get. The the fact that Tomlin is upset by the way ESPN handled the situation should have made him less likely to go on ESPN. But it's like he wanted to go on there and chew him out. Tomlin told Stephen A. Smith that Tomlin initially thought it was best for everyone to quote unquote shut up and move on, but he chose to take the different path because of the way the panel handled it. It was presented as a he said, he said, without referencing in any way the NFL's investigation into Miles Garrett coming back with no evidence to support the claim. And that's the thing. It's one thing to to treat his story as more credible and more specifically, not poop on it. Sorry. It's another thing to just ignore objective facts like the NFL saying they looked into it and they found no evidence of it. Tomlin believed the way it was presented wasn't fair to Mason Rudolph. These accusations are serious, Tomlin said, not only in terms of Mason Rudolph's character, but his professional pursuits. There's been a lot of negativity around Mason Rudolph. He got fined $50,000 for essentially getting beat up. It reminds me of Beverly Hills cop. He got arrested for getting thrown through a window. All of my references are timely, I know. I got thrown through a window! His reputation was tarnished for the allegations. And look, this isn't a frivolous claim by Tomlin. Remember Riley Cooper? Riley Cooper was on tape using the same racial slur that Mason Rudolph allegedly used, and they had to do some very heavy lifting in Philly. Mike Vick was heavily involved in getting guys like LaShawn McCoy to accept Riley Cooper after that. Remember, they sent him home for like a week, and they did this damage control, and eventually they brought him back. And then like a year or two later, the Eagles... Decided to move on from, nobody ever gave him a job again. Because here's the thing. And whether it's a guy who kneels during the anthem, whether it's a guy who's openly gay, remember the Michael Sam stuff, whether it's a guy who has this stigma attached to him of using a racial slur, All things equal, coaches don't want the guy that brings a bag with him into the locker room that potentially is going to cause an issue. Now, I'm not saying it's right, but I'm just saying that's the way they are. They got enough stuff to worry about. They don't want to worry about bringing a guy into the locker room that's got this extra issue attached to him. And when you're Mason Rudolph... It's going to be hard enough to find another job once the Steelers are done with you based upon, you know, the game film. It's going to be even harder to find another job in the NFL if when they're discussing it a year from now, two years from now, somebody asks the pro personnel director of the team that's considering Mason Rudolph, isn't that the guy that used the N word? That's why Tomlin is defending him. And it's right to do... Look, hey... I I am convinced... Now, you know, there is a slim possibility that... Miles Garrett just thinks he heard something that wasn't actually said. Human perception is grossly flawed. You could have 10 different people observe the same incident. And you could have 10 different versions of what they saw and what they heard and it could all pass a polygraph test we do a bad job as humans of witnessing processing remembering and reciting back now this is fairly simple i went back and watched the game copy though i, I look i i think the provocation for everything that happened it's hiding in plain sight if you watch it Mason Rudolph gets upset with the hit that he took from Miles Garrett, so Mason Rudolph starts pulling off Garrett's helmet. And Garrett's reaction was, screw you, I'm pulling off your helmet. And then once he got it off, he didn't hit him with it right away, Rudolph kept coming. And, well, Garrett just happened to have a helmet in his hands and whacked him over the head with it. See, Garrett's explanation, it's one thing to say, I heard the racial slur. It's another thing when he's pressed on it and he gives this goofy notion that, well, you know, there's microphones in the quarterback's helmet. No, there isn't, Miles. There's no microphones in the quarterback's helmet. There's speakers, slightly different piece of technology. And then he had something that he said to Mina Kimes about Rudolph had lost his helmet and and the one he had didn't have a microphone in it. What the hell are you talking about, Miles? Go back and watch the Fox broadcast. The helmet that Rudolph is wearing has the number two decal in the front and back stripe right in the middle, and it's got the little green dot. That's the helmet he would always have. And the green dot does not mean there's a microphone in it. It means there's a speaker in it. Again, a slightly different piece of technology. One you communicate into, one someone communicates to you with. John Dorsey came out yesterday in text messages to the Akron Beacon Journal Vouching for the notion that Miles Garrett had informed the team of the racial slur allegation after that game. Correct, Dorsey said, it's the truth. Now, Dorsey's already on record. Dorsey can't say now, no, he never told me. He already is on record supporting Garrett's claim as part of the blowback when Garrett waited a week to say anything. And I went back and watched Garrett at his locker yesterday after the game. Minutes after. Supposedly becoming enraged by Mason Rudolph using a racial slur. So enraged that he whacked him over the head with his own helmet. And Garrett is, as the kids would say, chill. He's standing there, relaxed, calm. Yeah, I lost my cool. He had every opportunity. Every opportunity. To say why he lost his cool. And he didn't. I lost my cool. It was my fault. And it's unfortunate in hindsight that no one drew a box around his story. And this is all happening in real time. I'm not faulting anyone for this. I wouldn't have thought of it if I'm standing there holding a iPhone or a tape recorder or a microphone just minutes after I'd seen that display. It's a lot you got to process. But it would have been nice if somebody would have said, miles. Did he say something? What provoked you to do that? What caused you to do that? Did he use language that you didn't like? Did he utter a slur of any kind? It would have been nice to get him locked in. And I don't know what's going to happen going forward. Part of me really wants to see this rabbit hole get fully explored. Part of me wants... A Seinfeld finale type of a trial where everyone who was in hearing distance of the Rudolph Garrett altercation parades in and testifies about what they heard or didn't hear. And I'd love to see Miles Garrett get aggressively cross-examination, uh, cross-examined examination cross for the story he's locked himself into. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see how credible Mason Rudolph is. I just don't think any of it's going to happen. I don't think it should happen. I think it's better for everyone to just move on. But again, if I'm Mason Rudolph, you know, I say all the time if somebody's innocent, they need to be shouting from the rooftops. Well, this is the way of Mason Rudolph shouting from the rooftops that he didn't do it. Because if he doesn't sue, remember when guys used to get popped for steroids and they would claim there was something in the supplement that they purchased? that was in some way tainted and we're gonna sue and they never did, we'd roll our eyes and say, Yeah, you're gonna sue. Yeah, sure, right. Yeah, oh, well, vindication. Vindication my butt. I mean, if Mason Rudolph is intent on trying to remove this stain from his reputation, then then maybe it's what he has to do. But then if you lose, see that's the thing. It's a high standard. I gotta go, but it's a high standard to prove defamation of a public figure. You have to show actual malice, which means you have to show that the person who made the statement knew it was false or acted with reckless disregard to whether it was true or false. It's a higher standard. And if Mason Rudolph fails to meet that standard, see, this is a hell of an all-in play. You push the chips in the middle of the table on this one, and let's say the jury thinks that the statement's false, but it doesn't rise to the level of actual malice, and Mason Rudolph loses... You're going to have a large chunk of the population that says well, we must have said it because they're not going to understand the nuances. Oh, he sued and he lost. Well, that means he said it. The jury found that he said it, even if they didn't. When we return last week, David Tepper said, let's talk about Cam Newton when he's healthy. The Panthers are reported, reportedly expect Cam Newton to be healthy next month. We'll discuss that and what it means when PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Listen, I'm not a doctor. You know, and I said it a million times. Is he, is he healthy? And how does he, I mean, he's not a doctor. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, different things can happen. But first is, is he healthy? Tell me that, and then we can talk.
1: That was David Tepper, Panthers owner last week, neglecting to mention that he has enough money to purchase the opinion of any doctor he would want that would allow Tepper to know whether or not Cam Newton, Panthers quarterback, will be healthy and when he'll be healthy as he recovers from a foot problem that arose while Cam Newton was recovering from his latest shoulder problem. Jordan Rodriguez of TheAthletic.com reported on Monday that the Panthers believe Newton is likely to pass a physical and be cleared for some football activity in March. March is important because it's not April. April is when the off-season program begins. Whether or not Newton is cleared in March has no relevance to the Panthers. None whatsoever. Unless they're going to trade him. That was the first thing I thought when I saw this yesterday. Of course he's going to be cleared by March. That's when they want to trade him. Has no relevance to his contract, no relevance to his status with the Panthers, his ability to get ready for the season. Nothing. They're getting the word out now. They're getting the word out that Newton is in play. This meshes with something I'm working on right now. We're going to talk about it later in the program more specifically. But yesterday, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN floats the idea that Teddy Bridgewater is getting $30 million in free agency. That's coming from people who are trying to scare teams away from Teddy Bridgewater. It's not coming from Bridgewater's agent his agent doesn't want to set an unrealistic bar the guy's started six games since 2015 for crying out loud he's got a career passer rating of 88.3 now look i think bridgewater is capable of becoming a great quarterback but he's done nothing to this point that cries out 30 million so what's happening is this free agency begins a month from today but it's already begun the planning has already begun there's Too many quarterbacks who are available or who could be available to not let teams and agents sit and let this play out. And the Panthers need to make sure that as these teams are considering Phillip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston, if he doesn't stay with the Buccaneers, do we make a run at Tom Brady? Do we go after this guy? Do we go after that guy? What about him? What about him? What about him? Oh, Cam Newton is getting cleared next month. Let's add him to the discussion as well. Let's consider him, Chargers. So this is all part of the effort to make sure that other teams are aware that Cam Newton is in play. That's all it is. I've been doing this long enough to know that that's exactly what it is. That somebody from the Panthers wants that out there. Hey, you know, Jordan. We expect Cam Newton to be cleared. We expect him to pass a physical. Oh, in April? Before the offseason program? No, in March. Right before the 18th. Just so you know. Do what it do with it what you will. It's look, it's that's what's happening. I don't fault the Panthers for it. Get the word out there. Get the word out there. You can't do it yourself, though. If you do it yourself, then it's too obvious what you're trying to do. It's too obvious you got a hammer out there and you're banging the for sale sign into the ground. You still got to have some leverage in these discussions. The message has been sent, the mission has been accomplished. Cam Newton is expected to be cleared, expected to pass a physical in March. In other words, make us an offer that we possibly won't refuse all right when we return joe burrow saying more things about the Bengals. we'll be right back pft live on nbc sports radio is brought to you by granger delivering the products that keep your facility running is what granger does best they've been doing it for 90 years Visit Granger.com for whatever you need, whenever you need it. Granger for the ones who get it done. Joe Burrow, LSU quarterback, 15-0, Heisman Trophy winner. Perceived to be the number one overall pick in the draft. The dance continues. And it's funny to watch how So many people lose their minds, especially Bengals fans and people who cover the Bengals. See, the people who cover the Bengals, they have been allowed to spend the last month and a half thinking it's going to be different. It's going to be better. We're getting Joe Burrow. People will actually read our stories. They'll be interested in what we have to say. They'll buy subscriptions to our paywall-protected content. So more than seven people will actually read what we write. Okay, 17. It's a fun process to watch. It's fascinating. Because here's the thing. Every time Joe Burrow or someone from his family addresses the chatter the speculation, the notion that Burrow doesn't want the Bengals to make him the first overall pick in the draft. None of them say, we want the Bengals to draft Joe. Previously, his father addressed the speculation. He didn't say, I don't know what anybody's talking about. We want to play for the Bengals. We're from Southeastern Ohio. We want the Bengals. Joe hasn't said it. Mom hasn't said it. Dad hasn't said it. They've said some other things. And the context is important here. It was three weeks ago, proud of the Super Bowl. Carson Palmer comes out and, to continue the phrase of the day, poops on the Bengals. Carson Palmer, who is uniquely qualified. Given his own personal experiences to comment on whether and to what extent the Bengals are trying to win a Super Bowl, offered his opinion. They're not. At least they weren't from 2003 through 2011. Oh, and then the next day, or maybe even the same day, the news comes out that Carson Palmer's younger brother, Jordan Palmer, is working with Joe Burrow to get him ready for the draft. And then Joe Burrow, who had previously said, previously said, I'm happy to play for any team that is willing to pay me. After he said that, and after Carson Palmer said what he said, and after Joe Burrow hired Jordan Palmer to help him, and all this stuff's out there about the Bengals not being committed to winning... Joe Burrow's on Dan Patrick's show and he says not I'll go to any team that's willing to pay me to play what Joe Burrow says to Dan Patrick is I want to go to a team that is committed to winning that's all I need to come to the conclusion that he's hoping that the dominoes fall in a way that he doesn't land in Cincinnati now I think that Burrow and his family have been more discreet about this because if push comes to shove and the Bengals put his name on the card, he ain't saying no to 36 million over 4 years fully guaranteed. Now, yesterday Burrow had more to say. That's why we're talking about it now. And he said I do have leverage. They have their process and I have my process. We haven't even gotten to the combine yet. There are a lot of things that happen leading up to the draft and a lot of information is gathered. Right now, I'm focused on being the best football player I can be. I'm in this unique spot. You can go watch my film. I don't have to prove myself at Pro Day and at the combine. So I'm in a unique spot where I can focus on getting ready for the year. He's right. But when he says, I do have leverage, that hints at what he could do. He has yet to say he will do it. And Steve Bartkowski, the number one overall pick in the 1975 draft of the Atlanta Falcons. And when I hear Bartkowski's name, I smile because that was the first time I was even aware of a draft. And that there's someone who is the number one overall pick. And when you're nine years old and you... you, Hear about that, you are in awe. He was the first guy taken. I mean, it's still regarded as some sort of an honor. Steve Bartkowski did not view it as an honor. Said Bartkowski, Cincinnati is not the best organization. You know, times change, things change. Atlanta wasn't a good organization until Arthur Blank bought the team in 2002. It was a terrible organization. They didn't know the right hand from the left, to be honest. I know what it's like to go to a bottom feeder team. I'd hate to see that happen to Joe. They beat me up in Atlanta. I spent more time at the hospital recuperating from injuries my first three years, and I did throwing touchdowns. It was tough. So, Bartkowski's advice, if it's the Bengals, I think I'd pull an Eli Manning on that one. You've got a chance to do that. That's happened. John Elway set the tone. Then the Mannings delved into it after Eli was picked by San Diego. The only two guys to ever pull the power play. Eli Manning and John Elway. Elway in 83, Manning in 2004. So it was 21 years from one to two. Will it be 16 years from two to three? And here's the thing that you need to remember. Number one, Mike Brown is very stubborn. Number two, your leverage consists of saying... I just won't show up and sign a contract. I'll sit out the whole year and re-enter the draft next year. Well, and this was a point Peter King made a couple of weeks ago. And Peter King's first NFL team that he ever covered was the Bengals. And he knows how Mike Brown thinks. He knows how he operates. We saw what he did with Carson Palmer when Palmer wanted out of Cincinnati in 2011. He let Palmer sit until week six... When Jason Campbell broke a collarbone with the Raiders and the Raiders made way too much of an offer for Palmer, that was when Mike Brown pulled the trigger. And that experience could make Mike Brown more likely to sit on Joe Burrow. I have an asset here. Somebody may offer me something for Joe Burrow. Make me an offer I can't refuse. And if the kid doesn't want to show up and take $36 million fully guaranteed over four years, that's his business. And you know what? If he doesn't show up and re-enters the draft... Mike Brown saves $36 million. And if Burrow re-enters the draft next year, is he going to be the top pick? Football moves on. You have a full year that's gone by where you haven't played, and you've got a full football season with guys who have played. Well, Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one overall pick next year. And here's the other thing, too. You can't control the process next year, either. There's a chance another bad team is going to draft you. And that team knows there's no way in hell you're sitting out a second year. It may be the Bengals again. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be the ultimate Mike Brown move? Joe Burrow sits out all of the 2020 season, re-enters the draft, and the Bengals take him again. (laughs) Saving another $36 million. The way it works is You become a free agent after two years. And you can go to any team you want. But the problem is, they can't pay you. The money's not there to pay an undrafted free agent. Just ask Lyle Collins. When he plunged all the way through the draft process several years ago because of the worst timing possible, I mean, it was worse for the person who was killed, but he was tied up in the early stages of a murder investigation he had nothing to do with, but it was all happening too quickly. Nobody drafted him. When he got drafted by the Cowboys, he, he, he was undrafted by the Cowboys. You can't just like sign the guy and pay him what he would have gotten if he was a first-round pick. You're very constrained. So it's not a good strategy for Burrow. See, I think the best strategy for Burrow is the one they're trying to pull off, which is to never say, I don't want Cincinnati, and to hope that the people in Cincinnati are smart enough to say, we don't want to buy ourselves a problem. And maybe we should take the best offer we get from the Dolphins or another team to move down. Maybe it's in our best interest to not draft a guy who seems to be reluctant. And the fact that Burrow hasn't come out and said, I don't want to go to the Bengals, yet, he still could. He's got two months. But I think what they're trying to do is stake out this very slim peninsula of territory where they're sending the message with plausible deniability that they don't want the Bengals. But they're not slamming the door on the Bengals because if it doesn't work, you just have to accept the fact that you're playing for the Bengals because you're not walking away from $36 million fully guaranteed over four years. Even if you'd rather play for the Dolphins or some other team. And I like this because it brings into focus something I say every year. And it's getting harder and harder to get people to understand. Although, I remember converting stats to my way of thinking when he was vehemently opposed to my anti-draft argument. That the draft is anti-American. That when you enter an industry, you pick where you go as the employee. The employer doesn't draft you from a pool of candidates. It doesn't work that way in any other business. You go where you want to go, assuming you can find employment. I mean, you've got got to be good enough to get an offer. But as the draft gets bigger and bigger, the combine gets bigger and bigger, everything about it, floating on the fountains of the Bellagio and the Las Vegas Strip and whatever the alternative would be, where basically the kids pick where they're going to go. It's the college-to-NFL version of the high school-to-college sitting at the table with multiple hats, and you pick one up. You can't make that work the way the draft works. The NFL is never letting go of the draft. Never, ever, 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 ever letting go of the draft. Even though the Burrow case is a prime example of why the right thing to do is to let the kid pick where he's going to go. And I don't have enough time to address why it's not nearly the fatal blow to football that so many think it would be. I've thought this through. I've been thinking about it for a long time. But Burrow may be the latest example of a guy who doesn't regard being the first overall pick as some sort of a privilege or honor. Oh, it's a privilege to be drafted by a bad team. Oh, thank you so much. We're going to take a break. When we return, I have some thoughts on how Rob Manfred has handled this Astros situation. And I really do believe if Roger Goodell handled something like this this way, even though he's had some close calls, if he handled this level of cheating, this level of scandal, the way that Rob Manfred has handled it, the NFL would already have a new commission. We'll talk about that next right here on PFT Live. You know, before I move on, I got one more thing to say about this concept of the draft, because I have a text message chain with four guys I've known almost all my life. And Recently, the issue of Joe Burrow came up and I, I, I dusted off my, the draft is anti-American rant. And one of my friends reacted to it very negatively. And eventually my friend said, well, you know, if these guys don't like it, they can go do something else for a living. And I, we need to get past the point where we, we believe that, that the teams are doing the players some sort of a favor here, handing out lottery tickets, winning lottery tickets. No, the players have a highly marketable skill, a very rare skill that is God-given talent that has been honed into a level of performance that makes them desirable. NFL teams are trying to win games. They're not trying to give away money. They're trying to win football games. They need these guys in order to try to win football games. They're not doing these guys a favor. Oh, they can go do something else. No, the teams want them. This is the system that the NFL has created to try to achieve some level of parity by letting the bad teams go first, not that that really changes the bad teams into good teams. All right, enough of that. Rob Manford is the Major League Baseball commissioner. He has handled the Astros' sign ceiling scandal As horribly as any scandal has ever been handled, culminating in his flippant remarks from Sunday that it would have been futile to take back the 2017 World Series championship from the Astros, who were in a sign-stealing mechanism that let them know pitch type and pitch placement. The, The information that you definitely could use to your advantage when you are at bat. He said it would have been futile to take it back because he simply would have been reclaiming a piece of metal. To his credit, Justin Turner, Dodgers third baseman, took aim at Manford on Monday. I don't know if the commissioner has ever won anything in his life, Turner said. Maybe he hasn't. But the reason every guy is working out all offseason and showing up to camp early and putting in all the time and effort is specifically for that trophy, which, by the way, is called the commissioner's trophy. So for him to devalue it the way he did yesterday— just tells me how out of touch he is with the players in this game. At this point, the only thing devaluing that trophy is that it says commissioner on it. Bang, Justin Turner. Boom. Pow. Right on the money, right on the kisser. But, look. Manfred made a strategic decision to try to address the cheating scandal without making it a bigger deal than it had to be. And he guessed wrong. Whether he decided this on his own, whether this is what the owners wanted to do, and we know the owners interfere with the running of the MLB office as much or more than NFL owners do. Hell, they once fired the commissioner and made one of the owners the commissioner. Right when they didn't like Fay Vincent anymore, they fired him, and Bud Selig became the commissioner, who had previously owned the Milwaukee Brewers. I know a little bit of baseball. Don't, yeah I, yeah, I remember from the days when I actually cared about it. This is one of the reasons I'm glad I don't care about it now. And Rob Manfred should be happy that more people don't care about it, because I guarantee you, if baseball was as big as it used to be, if baseball was as popular as football is now, this is the kind of scandal that could bring him down, and it still may. It still may. We saw the commissioner of the NFL under siege in 2014 for his handling of Ray Rice. That's nothing compared to this one. And I'm not trying to in any way understate the importance of being against domestic violence and taking a stand against it as a sports league, but it did not go to the integrity of the game in any way, shape, or form. And Deflategate and Spygate, that's small potatoes in comparison to this. Here's what this is. Here's the apples-to-apples comparison. This is like having a team... That is intercepting for every play, every snap of every game in a Super Bowl winning season, the quarterback to coach communication or coach to quarterback, knowing the play that's called, knowing their playbook, knowing what's coming. That, that's you take away the uncertainty of knowing what's coming. If you take away the uncertainty of knowing what's coming, you're going to win a lot of football games. In baseball, if you take away the uncertainty of knowing what's coming, you're going to win a lot of games because your batters are going to know what pitch is coming. That's the biggest challenge, figuring out what the pitch is. You guess right, you guess wrong. There's no guesswork if you know what it's going to be. So, if something like that happened in the NFL, you've got to vacate the championship. You've got to. It's so obvious that that's what MLB needs to do. The fact that Rob Manford failed to do it, and now – between him and the Astros owner and all this crap it won't go away because everyone knows in their heart that that championship needs to be reclaimed it needs to be vacated it needs to be given to the Dodgers it needs to be taken away from the Astros and until they do it this is going to continue and at some point Rob Manfred may end up out of a job Roger Goodell already would be out of a job if he handled a situation just like this in football. Two more hours of PFT Live still to come right after this.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well.